First of All podcast is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage. From setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to... Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. Thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. How are you guys? How are you doing? I hope you're doing well, staying safe and sane and healthy. And uh, this this episode's coming out right smack in holiday season. So happy holidays to all of you. Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates that. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, everything. Um, this has been a very strange and very tough year for a lot of different people. So I hope wherever you are, um, if you're listening to this during the holiday season, that you're enjoying your time and... Um, celebrating and and having joy and gratitude and warmth in your heart because we deserve it we need it and yeah stay safe though i am staying alone for the holidays my family and i decided to stay apart in our respective corners and uh, my mom just got back from korea from my grandmother's funeral so she's like just hold up at home with my dad and so they're going to be doing their thing. We'll be doing mine. I'm going to watch The Crown. Does anyone want to talk about The Crown with me? Please do. I'm really, I'm deep in it. And uh, hopefully getting some rest and relaxation because there's some big changes coming my way. So yeah, just sending you all big hugs. Lots of Christmas cheer. This is like my favorite holiday. Actually, I don't know. I love food on Thanksgiving and I love dressing up for Halloween. I don't know, but I love Christmas. And yeah, it's... It's a tough one, but we'll power through, we'll make it, and uh, close out this crazy-ass year and go into 2021 as fresh as possible. So this episode is solo one. Really excited to spend some intimate one-on-one time with you guys to share my story and my thoughts and lessons learned as I close a specific and significant chapter in my life, which is with collaboration and um Yes, I technically stepped down as executive director in 2018 for anybody who's aware of this journey of mine. Um, But this nonprofit executive director role that I've held and been really deeply ingrained in and like it's been my entire universe um, has kind of come to a more significant and more technical and more finite close as of late because there is a new executive director. So I have officially passed on the baton and pass the torch. Um, So I'll get into that because, you know, this is a big chapter that's closing for me and a shifting of identities really for me that I've 
had, you know, a couple of years to really think about. And the years preceding that, I was trying to reconcile what I wanted to do in stepping down. Um, and then now that we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last week, thank you. Or It's already been two weeks, my dear God, almost two weeks ago for collaboration uh, as a nonprofit and as a grassroots movement. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. It was like, it's just such a special night. Um, and it is online if anybody wants to watch it. I got to co-host that with the founder, PK. Um, yeah, with that event, it really was this like beautiful, poetic culmination of many paths and many chapters coming to a close and a new one beginning. So last week's episode was with Kelly Nichols, my former roommate who uh, has has left the building. Uh, we, report, we recorded that podcast episode literally 30 minutes I mean, we wrapped 30 minutes before she bounced and headed off to go back to Texas. And she's back there now. Um, she's got her ticket back to Scotland where she's going to move for the unforeseeable future, per- maybe permanently. And yeah, that chapter closed and I had a massive cry after we <laughs> finished recording. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that are that have been closing. I mean, that's just the course of life, but want to share these reflections. So thanks everyone that's been on this journey with me and who's gained an interest along the way. Um, I kind of wanted to set the context and commemorate this moment by sharing the story as concisely as possible. But uh, I joined Collaboration officially in 2009. So I've spent the last 11 years being part of this organization that is a nonprofit organization in the United States, um, but impacts the Asian American Pacific Islander community of artists. And our mission is empowerment through entertainment. And we discover, connect, and elevate Asian American Pacific Islander artists and creatives to create more diverse representation in media. So that's like the elevator pitch. But uh, collaboration has been around, again, as mentioned earlier, been around for 20 years. Um, has been vast majority of volunteer-run organization, and the heart and soul of collaboration was through its talent showcases, which is uh, produced by volunteer staff all over North America, so all across the U.S. and Canada. And yeah, we've put on over 170 showcases, probably hundreds of like I don't we don't have that number, which is not good. We have hundreds of community events that have taken place in our city chapters and uh, impacted thousands of staff members who have volunteered over the years and thousands of Asian American artists who performed in music, dance, comedy. We had some magicians and like like yo-yo artists. We had like martial artists. We had bodybuilders. We had a lot of different kind of performers and um, artists and creative people take the stage at Collaboration over the last 20 years. So that's the organization. That's the grassroots movement. It was founded by Paul P.K. Kim, who is a stand-up comedian. And he started one show in Koreatown in 2000 at the Bovard Auditorium and, you know, rented it on his credit card and decided he wanted to shake it up and stop this really narrow, stereotypical, worn out, lame, inauthentic, annoying representation of Asians in media, which was largely about kung fu masters and nerds and geisha girls. So uh, yeah, with that one show, we changed the world. So that happened in 2000. That was pre-social media. 
like honestly the internet was still like a new thing newer thing and it was a very true grassroots movement of people in their free time wanting to just have a good time producing talent showcases and I think because of the the need there was like a vacancy a need for Asian Americans to have something to to rally around and root for and it was just a genuinely a fun show where you got to see b-boys and rappers and DJs and singer-songwriters and martial artists and whoever just like kind of go at it and represent themselves and be funny and do sketches and perform and have a good time you know the movement caught on quick and it spread to Chicago and Atlanta and Toronto and New York and eventually made its way up to the Bay Area. So I came across it actually, uh, I came across PK first because PK was, you know, he is a stand-up comedian and he was performing all around and becoming a lot more popular um, through the grapevine. And I actually found out about PK when I was, I remember in my college dorm celebrating the fact that I had T3 internet connection. If y'all don't know it, you have not lived. I'm just kidding. We are so spoiled now with our Wi-Fi. Um, but T3 was like, you know, the the internet connection that did not disrupt your phone line. It basically was like a huge two or three steps up from dial-up where like you literally had to use your telephone line and you could not use your phone and the internet at the same time. Um, and that's like the beauty of being at college in, in a dorm. But I remember uh, my ex-boyfriend sent me a video of PK performing that took a full day to download, mind you. Um, <laughs> I started the download before class early in the a.m. By the time I got back around dinner time, it was finished. And I was like, yes. And I watched PK do a parody song of the song called A Song for Oma, which is a parody of A Song for Mama by Boys to Men, which is one of my favorite artists of all time and then he also did a song called it costs a lot to be your opa which was a spoof of hero by enrique iglesias he was i can be your hero baby that one yeah um but it was just a joke on how opas which is big brother in korean how much they like have to spoil their quote-unquote little sisters which that's a whole other conversation we'll have um but how they you know treat their little sisters and buy them everything and food and whatever and listen to them complain about being fat and (laughs) it was just so culturally specific and i had never heard something so funny so relevant and so like i felt so seen when i watched this video of pk performing these songs and it was amazing. And I just like, I was like, who is this guy? And this was before YouTube was a thing. And um, I believe shortly thereafter, YouTube was a thing. And I was actually one of the first people to upload a video of PK. Um, That video that I had downloaded that took a full freaking day. And that was like a, a, a cosmic meet because because of that upload onto YouTube, I got connected with PK because he commented and he was like, thanks so much for putting this video of me out there. I really appreciate it. I was like, what? So it was pretty cool. But that's how I came across PK. That's how I found out about collaboration. It was through that video, through the internet and through YouTube, which was this newfangled emerging platform at the time to find all of these amazing Asian American artists. And the fact that the show existed, I was just blown away that an organization made it their mission to increase Asian representation in entertainment. It stoked a fire in me because I had grown up being a huge pop culture fiend out of the womb. 
and listening to pop music and rap and which was broken by my father multiple times and re- condemned, you know, this is not good Christian music. And it was kind of inappropriate for like a four or five year old to be listening to rap. But you know what? It spoke to me. And um, being, you know, I just watch movies obsessively. I have a really good memory for like lines. I memorize lines well, so good thing I'm an actor. But um, I would just like reenact scenes and memorize lines and memorize songs and critique movies. And I was just heavily a consumer of all of it. I just ate it up. It was like my life. Um, and so, you know, just TV, MTV, all of it. So I'd always like had this dream that I didn't even identify as like a dream. The idea of working in entertainment really wasn't a formulated thought in my brain. But once I saw collaboration, it clicked. Like I was like, oh my God, could I, could I be an actress? Could I work in Hollywood? Could I make movies? Could I what <laughs> like explosions right and at that time i was a college student and i was heavily involved in my molecular cell biology and public health universe right doing ochem and wanting to die so it was a really big awakening and like just a, a gateway to a life that could be that i never had really entertained <laughs> and so it was really an amazing you know, spark, kind of just like the seed has been planted. (laughs) And um, in my narrative of my life, I was still involved with my uh, abusive ex-boyfriend at the time. It was very controlling. And I was not socializing with people. I was pretty much essentially imprisoned to my dorm and to classes. So I remember that content and Zanga and like all these other outlets where people were sharing these stories about who they were and what their dreams were and and watching all these YouTubers, like it really gave me a lot to enjoy and look forward to. So then my life took a twist. That was right about the time where everything fell apart too. And I had to leave school for a little bit. I left school for a semester and a lot of stuff happened in that time. And right when I came back for my junior year, I was reborn as a person. And I basically entered the world like, what do I want to do? It's kind of like I had a second chance at life. So when I was like thinking of career and everything, I was still really committed. Obviously, I I needed to finish my degree. I still really liked public health and I wanted to become an obstetrician probably. And also was thinking about public policy because that's stuff I was learning. I was really like in the back of my mind thinking like, okay, well, even if I don't go to Hollywood, I still can bring PK to my school. And then like, we still have like culture nights here in XYZ. And I had joined a club called CASA, which is the Korean American Student Association. Now, I know a lot of other people know KSA and they know CASA. We were CASO because in true Korean dramatic fashion, we had drama at our school and we had two separate Korean clubs. Nay, we did not have two. We had three. Nay, I strike. I take back my previous statement. We had KSA, which was the party club. We had CASA, which was the Square Community Service Leadership Club. Then we had CKS. <laughs> my bad. I'm sorry. But I don't really pay attention. It was the FOB group. It was the FOB Korean group. Um, 
the fresh off the boat Koreans. Um, so yeah, it was like that. And then there were all the church groups and like, it was very fragmented, right? But I was part of CASO, joined as social chair, got really, really involved. And uh, by senior year of college, when we merged KSA and CASO to become CASA, I stepped up as a co-president of that club. And I decided emphatically, like I'm bringing PK to our Korean culture night. It's happening. And so he came out and it was dope. And it was like one of, it's like those moments where you like see somebody that you've been watching on screen and they're like a little celebrity in your mind and your brain explodes because you're like, you're a real person. You're in front of me. Oh my God. And it was like that when I met PK, I was kind of like starstruck. And PK is just one of the kindest human beings, so down to earth, no airs about him. He doesn't have any of that like entitlement or weirdness that some artists really, really do have. Um, he's not like that. And we got along and I kind of cornered him and I asked him like, why don't you have a collaboration chapter in the Bay Area? And I got all nerdy about it and pulled a stat from Wikipedia and was like, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area has more Asians per capita than Los Angeles. So we are very deserving of having a collaboration chapter. I was like building, I was like pitching him. And he was super cool about it. He's like, you know, it's so great that you're so into collaboration. Like, that's dope. Like, you should start a chapter here. So you basically put it on the thing on the table, like, you start it. You be the director. And I was like, no. So I turned him down because I thought he was nuts. And in my mind, collab was such a big deal. And I was like, I can't be director. Like, that's what grownups do. Are you crazy? So I turned him down, but uh, the seed had been planted. Yet, you know, another one. And I also remember that was a time where I like took a very audacious liberty and I like called PK. I don't even know if I remember. I don't remember if I asked for his permission, like, do you have time for a call? Or if, if I just called him, I think it might have been the latter, in which case, I'm so sorry, PK, that's very rude. Um, but I think I just like called him and I was like, so PK, um, I want to be an actor. Like I had never said those words out loud to my family, even my friends maybe a couple strangers. And I was saying it to PK because I was expecting him to like, be like, yes, queen, yes, go live your dream. Because he was the dream big guy, right? And he's the one that like started the movement and the organization to like promote Asians to get into entertainment and become big and like change the game, right? And he told me, in essence, don't do it, which was not the answer I was looking for, but it was the answer that I needed to hear. So, um, yeah, I've shared this story many times before, maybe, and first of all, but I'll always remember that advice because that conversation really did shape the trajectory of my future. So, PK, on behalf of my parents, thank you. Because <laughs> I remember you told me to not quit school, which I wasn't planning to do. I was a senior. I was going to finish. But I think you was scared that I was going to, like, quit everything and just, like, move to Hollywood and be like, oh, my God, where's my trailer? But, um... He he basically set me down, you know, over the phone. He was like, Minji, if you want to do this, this is very hard. I don't actually recommend it. It's very unstable. It's very competitive. It's very tough. There's tons of rejection. There's no stability, no security. You're going to a good school. You really need to finish it, get your degree, and get a job and work. And so he kind of like guiding me and giving me instruction of work and make a salary and have benefits and vacation days and all of that. And he's like, if you are willing to walk away from that, if that lifestyle is enough for you and you can't give that up or if like you're not willing to give that up to pursue acting for all of the 
hell that awaits you. He's like, if you're actually willing to give that up and walk away, then maybe you actually want to be an actor, which I think was the best thing that he could have said to me at the time. Um, even now, honestly, and that's pretty much what I would say to anybody who's like talking to me about wanting to be an artist. I would 100% go for it, but I would have, I would have some stipulations. You know, I have my thoughts too. For me, who's really type A and goes really, I'm a little extra sometimes when I get riled up. Um, it was really sound advice. I took it and we parted. Like he went back to LA. I think that was in 2006 or seven. I stayed an extra year to make up for the semester I had skipped. I took an extra semester to go to Paris. That was my second time um, to go back to Paris and study there and reclaim my city because it had been a tough moment for me earlier. Came back and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to work. I'm going to do public health. I was actually kind of relieved because the acting thing was like terrifying. It was just like this pipe dream. And so I came back worked in public health in the nonprofit world in Oakland for a place called Prevention Institute, one of the best experiences of my life. I love the people I met there. I love what I learned there. And in 2009 is when Christy, um, a girl that a friend of a friend, she she took the helm and started the San Francisco chapter of collaboration. And through the beauty of the internet and Facebook, found out about me and I was referred to her as a good person to recruit for her associate director role. So that's what happened. And so I was working. I had free time. I had a salary. I had my independence. I was living on my own with my friend Gina. Hi, Gina. I love you. Um, You know, we're living our lives in our early 20s and going clubbing and dating and all that stuff. But um, I just dove right in. So as of 2009, I signed on board as uh, associate director of San Francisco Bay Area Chapters initial team. And then um, in 2010, after our first show, I then became the executive director. So um, took that role on and did that until 2013. And there were a lot of overlapping things in this narrative. Basically, PK stepped down as running all of collaboration in 2010. So within my first year, our leader of all the cities was gone. He had spent 10 years really committed to everything collaboration, hosted every single show in all the cities. And he had a family at that point. I think Solomon was just this cute little baby. He was like one year old, I think. And he had a wife and he had his comedy career that he wanted to pursue and a family to provide for. So he decided to step down after committing 10 amazing years to collaboration. So for a couple of years, Collaboration didn't have a captain at the helm. So there was this interim time where all of us city directors rallied together and we started organizing monthly director calls and coming up with agendas. Like we rallied and organized. It was honestly a really beautiful time because it was this huge upswing of Asian American relevance because of YouTube. It's really like the heyday. I actually, the heyday of YouTube was even earlier. I think it started like, honestly, 06, 07, all the way up to like 2012. But it was such a beautiful era. And we were really in the thick of it, just selling out shows like a thousand seat theaters and putting on these massive productions. And these are just like volunteers from local cities, from like students and young professionals and raising money and holding auditions and doing community service together and fundraising and getting sponsorships and 
doing retreats together to bond as a staff. It was like truly an incredible time. So during that time as as San Francisco director, I got tapped on the shoulder by Roy Choi, who's not the chef, but our executive producer. He tapped me on my shoulder and um, really had a lot of appreciation for what I was doing in San Francisco for as leader of that chapter. And he offered me the role. He suggested that I, he's like, what do you think about taking on the executive director role? And I was like, excuse me? Like, PK? PK's role? Me? Like, huh? And I was like, yeah, I really like what you're doing in San Francisco. I think you could do really well and like bring that to the rest of the cities. And um, I was so flattered and so terrified and massive imposter syndrome. And I was like, hell no, you are out of your mind, sir. Sir, you need to get your head checked. What are you saying to me? And by then I was working in tech because I transitioned out of public health, now worked in the corporate world lived in San Francisco. I was and I was also dating somebody from the collaboration universe. He was the collaboration Seattle director and you know we're in our little collab love bubble and everything was like really great and that was going to be a major change in rocking the boat. So I was very honored and flattered and scared and I said absolutely not. So then I thought about it. I think he he said that to me in 2012. I thought about it and then Roy's just a genius. I've learned so much with him and PK being like my big brother figures. But Roy's a very, very smart and great businessman. And he just like left the offer on the table. He's like, okay, he planted the seed because he knew that I had the drive and that I cared about collab deeply. But he knew that if I was scared, he's not going to push and pressure me. He's just like, well, I think that you do great. Just think about it. But if you're not ready, then that's totally fine. And he walked away. And then so, of course, I obsessed about it for the next year. I was like, but could I? Could I give up the corporate job? This is what PK talked to me about. And in that time, I'd also started acting. So, y'all, I was triple hustling. I started my acting career. I was doing acting classes at night. I started, I got an agent. I started auditioning in 2012. So all this was like mad overlap. This is the stuff that you do in your 20s, right? Because you have like massive amounts of energy and you don't die by the time it's 10 p.m. Like, no. Um, But it was a really golden time. And that's just where I went. I was like going. And so I thought about it for a full year. And my ex, the boyfriend at the time, he was a really instrumental, wonderful you know, partner to encourage me. And like he and I both were really deeply invested in collaboration. And so he encouraged me. He's like, go for it. Like you could do it. And, um, you know, he was living in San Francisco with me pursuing tech. And so we're just like, I I, I don't know. Like I actually, I really thank him because I don't know if I could have taken that leap without somebody like on the inside who understood how much it all meant. And the drama and the challenges that we had as a volunteer nonprofit. I mean, it's not easy. It's not a small task. But I really credit him as being one of the key influencers and my, you know, one of my old, my dearest friends who, you know, passed away a couple of years ago. They, the two of them and, and a couple of friends within Collab were really, really the key people that made me go over that line. So in 2013, I took on the global executive director role and it was all systems go man like so for the next five years I was doing it and I was running a nonprofit organization and I was responsible for 
you know, being a leader to who used to be my peers and my friends were now like I had to lead them. And it was crazy. And I felt so much pressure. And there was a lot happening in my personal life, too. Just having left uh, my corporate job, breaking the news to my parents, I didn't ask for their advice. I didn't ask for their permission. I actually, I remember having a heart attack almost. We went to a sushi place. I remember we were about to eat sushi and that's a very poor choice of restaurant. <laughs> don't, don't have cuisine. We're like, oh God. I could have maybe had a burger and fries. I don't know. But like, we're about to have a very, you know, delicate, beautiful meal. But I was about to vomit all over the place because I was about to break it to them that I'd already given my notice. And that was quitting a great job, literally on Market Street in the middle of downtown San Francisco on the 10th floor. Like, you, I, I sat around the corner from the president and I was getting sent to speak at tech conferences. And I didn't even know, like, 40% of what I was talking about. I wasn't even too sure. <laughs> this is... Uh, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was shifty times. Um, but I was doing really well and I really liked my job and I really liked my boss, but I didn't love it. And I decided, I made this big girl decision all by myself. That was a big deal. And my parents were not happy about it. Uh, my dad was just always, even before when I was just volunteering, always telling me to quit collaboration. That's a waste of my time. And he didn't understand like why I was wasting my time doing it. And then I hadn't even broken the, like, broken the seal or broken the ice that I wanted to be an actor. Like, all of these things took a very gradual approach because it was just too much for my parents to to wrap their head around and, and come to support. And that took years, way less time with my mom than my dad. But that was happening. Um, it got really tough between, you know, the ex, my, my boyfriend at the time, and... Um, just a lot of growing pains, right? Just as a young adult, all the while, like becoming this, um, this leader. And of course, underneath all of that, having a lot of unresolved, like childhood trauma and like from my abusive ex, like all of that is still just like bubbling all underneath. I just have to put that in because this is all stuff I know through therapy now as a grown adult. But you know, your girl has a dream. So I'm like, I'm going for it. And as I made these decisions and as I pursued this dream for the next five years, um, breaking up with the boyfriend during that time and feeling the weight of of this organization, like being the head honcho before I'm even like 30, was a real lot of everything to to process and handle. And I genuinely felt like I was dropped into a rushing river and handed some boulders. Like a lot of days felt like that. But somehow, I don't, I'm still here, right? And um, I moved to LA in 2014 and I still pursued acting on the side, you know, and Roy and everyone around me was still supportive of that. They understand that it's a hustle and that it takes time. So as long as, you know, things were working with collab, they were still supportive of that. That's incredible, you know? And that made me want to, keep the organization and the movement alive even more you know it made me that much more committed like when my needs and like my dreams are being supported like how can you not appreciate that but there are real challenges to running a nonprofit, you guys <laughs> especially when it had been grown pretty organically is a good way to put it um where you know that each city was kind of doing their different thing every city had its own vibe i traveled all over 
to every single city to watch their showcases, to meet these different people, to meet the artists and to see, honestly, for me, this term that we use now, Asian American, like I got to live and experience and walk, talk, breathe it with my fellow collaboration staff and artists in real time during all of those years. Even before I took on the global role, we were already traveling to other cities to support them. So that's how I got to experience other places like Chicago and Seattle and um, Texas. And like, it was just awesome getting to see all these other communities and their culture and their vibe and um, their food. And it was just incredible. And seeing the diversity of Asian Americans, like we are umbrellaed under this one big term, but there's so many different people in there and so many different backgrounds and so many origin stories and so many struggles. And it was just absolutely awe-inspiring and humbling and deepening for me to learn all of these things. So I was definitely challenged. I was really motivated. Um, I started the Empower Creative Leadership Conference, and I'm so proud of that because it was an idea that had been birthed years before with, you know, friends and with my ex. And like we had been talking about all these things and, you know, things came to fruition in 2015 when we just launched it. We're like, you know, F it. Let's just do it. Let's make it happen. Let's ask, you know. Asian American professionals in the entertainment industry, if they'll be kind enough to give an hour of their time to talk on a panel. And we made it happen and it's still going. And we had a digital conference this year. I mean, it's absolutely astounding what I experienced could happen with a great team, with a vision and with a plan, you know. And in 2018, I stepped down officially as executive director. To I chose after five years of making collaboration, the center of my entire universe, that I wanted to make space for acting, for filmmaking. I had more aspirations that have been birthed out of doing the acting rat race to like write and become a filmmaker. And I'd been asked to potentially produce things. And like I was a natural producer that I'd learned that through collaboration. And um, yeah, it was a really tough choice. All of those things I'd evolved so much as a person, not just as a leader and professional, but as a woman, as a Korean American person, as a millennial, like there's so many things that were rapidly changing. And so making that decision in 2018 was a really significant one and kind of a significant identity crisis and shift. And since then, I've been on the board and we've been in this limbo state. And Marvin, who is my producer of this show, has been such a key person in why we survived those two years was because Marvin held down the fort. And then I did whatever I could to support him as he like just held up. I feel like I'm thinking of like Atlas or like some kind of mythological character that's like holding a house up. You know, he he kept it alive. And then we have fast forwarded to 2020, the craziest, weirdest, most bizarre year ever. And we found my successor. And we have our executive director, Jane Kim, now taking the reins of collab. And we made it to our 20th anniversary. And the her first few months of being executive director was working with me to transition the role and to learn about collaborations history, all 20 years of it, and put together this celebration that was supposed to be a live event and a big in-person party and um, something that I really wanted to celebrate as like the marker of like, this is what's going to happen. This is me in January. 
I was like, we're going to find our executive director this year. It's going to happen. And then we're going to plan a party. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be full of love and celebration and appreciation for everything collaboration has done in 20 years. It's going to be fire. We're going to like cry and laugh and dance together. And it will be the best way, the best way to close out my chapter because I will hand the baton to the next director with gratitude, with pride, and with some sadness. And it's going to be great. That's what I was thinking. Honestly, a lot of last year and definitely the beginning of this year. And then COVID hit. We had to we had to pivot, right? But um, still, the chapter got closed nonetheless. And albeit it was on a live stream, it was still beautiful, still meaningful. And I've been reconciling this path because for the last 11 years, collaboration you know, even in the two years that since I left, everyone's like, you, you haven't left. It has been the center of my universe, right? In so many ways. And my identity that has been attached to this executive director role, whether it was with the San Francisco chapter or with the being, you know, the global ED, really, really shaped who I am. It influenced a lot of maturity that I I had to like, just figure out and go through over the years. And I'm still putting a lot of pieces together. I think I'm near complete. <laughs> and there's a lot that's going to happen in 2021 that's changing. So I, I'm kind of like, it's the necessary part of life. And in that, I wanted to share that story because it really just, it was my life for 11 years. And I owe, I feel like I owe so much like the vast majority of what I have good in my life, thanks to collaboration. There's so many things I could share. This is like hours and hours of content, but I at least wanted to get the the timeline down and share some lessons that I learned from this evolution of identity as a leader um, and as a person, as an advocate for diversity and inclusion, an advocate for the Asian American identity and representation and inclusion in media as an actor and as an artist, as a freelancer, an entrepreneur and a hustler. Like I changed a lot and I learned so much through this particular era of my life. So I thought I'd just share some some stuff and some thoughts with you. Um, so one area that I wanted to just mention was about leadership. And that was planted in me pretty early on. I was always kind of drawn to leadership activities and roles. I always wanted to help out at things and um, whether it was like VBS, like vacation Bible school and church as a kid or with praise team or retreats or whatever. I was, well, I was pretty quick to volunteer to help out and, and stuff and be entrusted with responsibilities. And in high school, God bless Mr. Fuller at Amador Valley High. I love you so much. You know, really started to outline the character of a leader, which was that it was built upon the foundation that leaders are there to serve, that they're not there to dominate or overpower people. They're there to serve others. And a leader serves and leads by example, by having character and by having integrity and by not um, not being overrun by ego and entitlement. And he would instill that in us in so many ways and activities. And I participated on ASB as a student officer, junior and senior year. I had the producer vibe in me because like I just wanted to plan prom and homecoming like, oh, it was life, you know. 
And it was also a really great way to survive an abusive relationship. I'll tell you that. Um, and then in college, you know, once I was getting my feet under me and figuring out who I was as a person, I got involved with CASA and CASO and um, serving as a leadership role in that and becoming co-president of that and learning just continuously that it's really fun and fulfilling and also really challenging to be a leader. What collaboration taught about me truly is that it it's the same cliche, just in a different form, a different audience, I guess, of you're there to serve. And you're taking on a very big responsibility. And that even if you are not by title a leader, like you're not the director, I also learned very thoroughly that everybody is a leader of themselves. And that might sound very cliche and trite, but it's very true that everybody has a responsibility to themselves and then to the people that they are giving their word to, to show up and do the thing that they said they're going to do and to do it as well as possible. So it was crazy for me to take my responsibility in certain ways, kind of a burden because like you don't get to be part of everybody else. You you have to, you can't be as lax as everyone. And that's kind of like a, you know, it's just the price you pay to be, be in a leadership position where people are looking to you for some level of guidance and example of how things go. And you set the tone in a lot of ways, but just to see how much you can empower other people to take leadership in their lives and their respective teams. And that's a really beautiful thing. So it really comes down to a mind, a heart, and actions of service. Those are where good leaders are built. And good leaders come in so many different shapes, sizes, and personalities and forms. That's also the other thing I learned about leadership was that, you know, sometimes we have this like archetype of what a leader is, which is super loud or outspoken or charismatic. But there are so many leaders that are brilliant, that are not loud, that are not outspoken, but are really brilliant and really organized and really driven and equally ambitious, maybe more introverted, but they're profoundly powerful as leaders too. They just don't walk around with the same volume that I might have or another person might have, but they're still worth listening to. And I learned that so quickly because collaboration was full of so many different types of personalities. And what I didn't want to miss out on as a leader was a good idea. And I don't know if that was me like having imposter syndrome, just being like scared that my idea sucked. Although the more passionate I got about an idea, the more I got pretty like, no, this will be great, you know, and like get kind of pushy. But I had to learn, like, be open and receptive and let others speak and to freaking listen and to let good ideas flourish. And I I did well in sometimes and I failed in sometimes. Like I would find out after a show like that there were some great ideas from from my staff that I simply didn't like ask or uh, make space for. And then I also had to communicate to them like when they came to me after the fact that they had this great idea for like a marketing promo or a push or like an artist that we could have invited that just didn't register in my mind because I was thinking of a million other things. Um, They're like, oh, yeah, you know, it would have been really cool if we did this. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a brilliant freaking idea. I'm like, why didn't you why did you tell me this earlier? Like, why? Partially like accusing and partially just like, why didn't I ask, you know? And they were just like, well, you're the leader. You're like the director. I didn't want to like be rude and overstep a boundary. That's also what I learned about at least Asian American culture, which I don't think is 
it's again exclusive to Asian culture, but it's everywhere in all a lot of different cultures of hierarchy and not feeling like you have a place to speak up or have a voice heard. Um, I had to make it like clearly known to her and to other people. I had to work on that to be like, I need good ideas from all of you guys. Like as a leader, I'm working on, you know, different things, different challenges. I'm working on funding and making sure that the team's all doing all their respective stuff so that we can take care of marketing and programming and production and like all this stuff, right? Um, And coordinating with LA and travel with all the other directors. I need, like, I can't cover all the bases. So I really needed to empower her to give her space to say, yo, it's not your fault. I'm sorry to ask, but also next time, don't even, you don't need my permission. Like, if you have a great idea, just like, shout it out. Like, I want to hear it. It'd be great. I Like, that's a brilliant ass idea. I wish we had had it for this show, but maybe we can use it for the next one. And if you have more, like, bring it out. Like, I'm, I'm open ears. And so recognizing our respective roles of like me creating space or being a better listener or asking for somebody's opinion and not um, taking up all the air in the room, you know, like respecting my team and respecting their brilliance. And like, I, (laughs) I really sucked at that at the beginning. And it was a really important lesson to learn. So it's, you know, just don't discount and don't underestimate what you have at your disposal. A good leader can bring those things out of people. Um, whether it's a one-on-one conversation, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's setting up a process of like brainstorm sessions every week or whatever, you know, office hours. There's so many ways to be creative, to bring the best out of others. Again, that's a service that you can do for others too. It's not like you're just getting good ideas out of them and like extrapolating their brilliance. You're also empowering them to become an agent of change for themselves. And like I watched so many shy, socially awkward people blossom like in front of my eyes this is why I like stuck with collab I couldn't leave it it was just so fun you know we you put these random people together that all care about Asian American representation that all want to like find dope artists in their local communities and we'd learn about each other and we'd change each other and it was incredible like I would see interns and staff members go from just being a fly on the wall to like wilding out at an after party like my brain exploded. (laughs) 8,000 times over just watching personalities transform and you could see people shine. And that was like something that I got really addicted to and I couldn't just walk away from. You know, it was a tough thing to leave my corporate job because I really liked it. But I was like, no, but I could, we could have so much more fun doing this too. And it'd be something I'd really regret if I didn't try. And things like that, those moments, those aha moments of like good ideas of watching people befriend each other, make connections, like lifelong friendships to change as a person and having any part of that, like any kind of influence on creating the space for that to happen was so fun for me. So fulfilling. And there was a buttload of stress, but it made it worth it, you know? And like, that's what made it worth it. So I always joke that I I joined collaboration to meet you know, YouTubers and celebrities, which I did. And I stayed long-term. The reason why I stayed around for 11 years is because of the staff and because of the artists too. Like not everybody went on to become a celebrity, but you, we saw lives change, you know, slowly but surely and sometimes suddenly. And 
you know, light bulbs go off. And it was just really fun. Um, I also think mentorship is incredibly important. I think I could have done better with finding mentors. I was very fortunate for Roy and PK being as good of mentors as they could. Christine Kim, who's our producer and totally like behind the scenes power woman, she mentored me by proxy, just like watching her work ethic and knowing her love and passion for collaboration, which was nearly not as loud and exuberant as mine, but 1000% present and there. I really looked up to like her ability to make things happen. And she did it without making much of a fuss about anything. She just cared deeply about things getting done and things getting done right. And that taught me so much that it's about the work and it's about the impact. It's not about me. And it made me take work more seriously and myself less seriously. And so I I also learned by mentoring others that as I got older, there were so many of these really incredible young Asian Americans or not even we had a lot of non-Asian Americans too helping out with collaboration. It was so dope. It's just like allies and friends who want to like be part of something fun, you know, got to meet so many different kinds of people and being a mentor to them honestly taught me so much because they would ask me for my advice and ask me for insight or my experience and just articulating it out loud to them and talking things through with them actually helped me process my own life and think about my next steps. But I think mentorship is such a key part of leadership. And um, whether it's happening involuntarily or whether it's consciously sought out, I think it's just so invaluable. And I think with leaders, it's really uncomfortable sometimes because you don't want to burden people. And like, I still like I'm in my mid 30s. And I'm still very, very bad at asking people for help. But I'm working on it because I know that's what it is required to like be better. And I also learned that people really do want to help. You know, so um, just stomach the discomfort of like being awkward and feeling like a burden for a second, like I know the feeling and then just you can you can ask and you also might get told no. I've also been rejected or people have given me maybe like five minutes of their time instead of an hour, but be reasonable. And I have another podcast thing I want to uh, talk about that, about like how to how to talk with others, like the networking thing, because I've heard some feedback that that's something that people would want to know more about. Um, but mentors are are really great. Also, the the idiom that I came up with, like being dropped in the analogy that I said earlier about being dropped in a rushing river. I think that's honestly just a huge part of life. Um, I've learned that I adapt pretty freaking well, and that's been a strength of mine. And now I'm working on being more intentional and planning better and strategic. But I think what I learned in collaboration about leadership is that you're going to be thrown in so many, so many unexpected experiences. And you will learn a lot, probably most of the job in anything you do, in any role that you play on the job. You're going to have to just figure it out. And I know there are some people, including lots of close friends of mine that are planners and they do not like it when like they don't know what's going to happen and they can't like deal. But I think it's a key thing and maybe it's like a thing that we can all mature and like kind of flex that muscle and strengthen that muscle of improvising and being very present and like, because dude, things go wrong all the time. And you're just going to have to learn how to deal with it. And thankfully, we have Google and we have YouTube and we have Masterclass and we have each other and we have Zoom and like we have a lot of resources available. But I think no matter what, leadership 
and anything, anything worth like endeavoring is going to feel at many times like you're just dropped in a rushing river and you're just figuring it out. I think I felt that way, honestly, at every chapter of my life. And um, as a leader, I never felt ready, but I did feel capable and I felt willing and passionate and I felt hopeful, not all the time, but a lot of time. And sometimes those, any combination of those things has got to be enough to just push through to get to the next step. You know what I mean? So my heart goes out to everybody, but maybe it's just kind of accepting that life is going to be always like a rushing river. You're always just going to be introduced to like a lot of different things that you didn't feel you're ready for, but you will rise to the occasion and you'll find a way to swim upstream. You'll learn how to handle the boulders. You'll learn when you can let that boulder go (laughs) or, I don't know, make a little raft out of some branches. I don't know. You'll figure it out. You'll adapt. And that's what leaders do. And that's why I think every person, whether you're in charge of a team or an organization or just your own life, all of that applies in all scenarios. Um, And I also learned that in leadership that it's really important for me and what I think I did well a little bit intentionally and a little unintentionally was playing the long game. I think what I learned with collaboration, being around artists and being in uh, an industry like Hollywood that is so ego-driven and so fragile and so catty and so shark-like and Honestly, I don't think that it's that different than any other industry. Like if you're in finance or if you're in real estate or if you're in tech, like same, 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 right? Egos and competition and distrust and greed and fickleness, popularity contest, politics, all of it. Same, 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 same. And I learned the value of values that having values identified and understanding that you're going to have to make hard decisions and you're going to, it's helpful to have those values and priorities set as early on as possible so that they can guide your decisions to understand what you're going to have to sacrifice. Maybe you're going to have to be unpopular. Maybe you're going to have to be obscure, just like you're going to have to take a stance when other people aren't really speaking up because they're scared to make a statement because it could rub people the wrong way or make them unpopular or what have you. They don't want to get political for whatever reasons. Like you got to know who and what you are and you got to know who and what you stand for and why. And understand that being leader of your life, of your organization, of your team means that you're playing a long game and you're playing a game of sustainability, of impact, at least for me. Um, And it was really freaking hard because I wanted to please everybody. And you can't. I wanted to make everybody happy. You swear I didn't know, just FYI for anybody who's listening, uh, and I don't know who's listening that this applies to, but you swear if people didn't talk shit about collaboration that I didn't know about it. I knew about it. I knew who, a lot of who said what. Um, I definitely don't know everything and I don't care to know everything, but a lot of things reached my ears. I knew that there are criticisms. I knew even within my own teams, even within my own, who used to be friends, you know, there are, there are relationships that didn't pan out. It was, it was tough. Um, and, and it still kind of sucks to this day and I'm really working on reconciling. There's, it's very rare. It's not a, it was not a common thing, but there are times where like I had to remember who who I am, what my job is, 
who I'm there to serve and what job needs to be done. And did I succeed in it all the time? Hell no, I didn't. There are times where I let my personal feelings get the best of me. There are times where I was just not taking care of myself. The self-care part was a problem um, and burning out and just trying to do too many things and not being strategic, not being clear. I just felt like I was a chicken with my head cut off sometimes, you know? And those are all challenges I had to face. And when it came down to it at the end of the day, I had to figure out like, what is the long game? What is the impact? And what do I, what does all of this matter for? And let those be guiding principles and making decisions that felt like there was no better decision. There is not always a clear black or white decision. There is not always, this is good and this is bad. It's somewhere in between. There's a lot of coexisting paradoxical things that happen in life. And that's actually something that if y'all have time, go listen to Brene Brown's interview with Barack Obama. It like it blew my mind how perfectly they put it. Just the tension between two opposing ideas that both have merit. Life is very gray. And what can be good to you in your eyes can be bad for a lot of other people and vice versa. And when you're leading an organization, your team, your life, there's cost benefits to everything. And there's differing levels of urgency and there's differing levels of impact. Like what toll it's going to take once you make that decision. You just got to do it. You have to make decisions. So I learned that it's important to learn how to drown out noise and identify and discern what noise is noise and what matters and how to move accordingly. And those are things that I will carry forever, forever, never, never. I can't unlearn those things and I understand the value of because things get political. They can get catty. They can get personal and they can cut really deep and it can really hurt. Um, But nonetheless, you know, People are smart. We are resilient. We're also forgiving. And we're also, you know, we have perseverance in us. So when you know what matters, you can you can make those decisions. Um, there's a number of other things that I would love to like expand on in future episodes too. But, you know, I just really appreciate what I learned about teamwork, um, about accountability, about learning to work with others. And um, I really got to, I need to say this one story because I just have to, but I want to do shout out to Billy Van, who was my finance director. I might've mentioned Billy in a previous first of all episode, but Billy, you taught me so much. And I bring up Billy a lot because Billy was one of the OG founding director. He was a finance director from the very beginning with Collaboration San Francisco. And from day one, at day one, I won't say from day one, at day one, I didn't really like Billy. Like, he's a very outspoken, very ambitious, very smart Vietnamese-American guy who is, like, in charge of the money. And, of course, I'm, like, thinking of, like, the artist and the vision and the show. And, of course, our dynamic over the next few years was Minji having ideas and Billy shutting them down with his logic and budgets. And that that uh, relationship is near and dear to my heart because it's one of the key things that I learned about collaboration from the organization is that collaboration is really hard. Collaboration with a C. Collaborating with people, working with people on a team is not as easy thing to do. There are a lot of people who value or like mark themselves as like, I'm a lone wolf. I work better alone. 
And yeah, I don't doubt that. I can work pretty well alone too. But there is something incredibly valuable and powerful about teamwork. And Billy is kind of exhibit A to me because I kind of had set from like the first meeting. I was like, I don't like this dude. He's just so obnoxious. And like, why does he talk so assertively? Like he knows everything. Like, bro, chill. (laughs) Over the next few years, Billy and I were like in our executive board meetings, we'd be like mom and dad, like literally our team would be like mom and dad are fighting again because we'd sit there and bicker because I'd be like, oh, we should do this and we can invite this artist and we can do this event and blah, 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 because I'm doing my director thing and trying to be a visionary, which is I love having ideas. And Billy would squash them. He'd just come in with a freaking baseball bat and be like, nope, 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 boom, boom, boom. And I'd be like, I hate you. And so we'd bicker, um, but really in hindsight, man, what kind of deep financial rut, we would just not even been able to exist. You know, if Billy wasn't there to pull in the reins and call me out on the absurdity of (laughs) my ambition and all the stuff that we didn't have the bandwidth or the money to do, I would have burnt the team out. I would have, you know, used up all our sponsorship dollars and it would just been all bad. I needed Billy. He was a key part of my team. And even though I didn't like what he was doing, it was a necessary part of him being on the board and he, him having checks and balances for like my thing. And he, we both had the same goal in mind, which was, was to make Collaboration in San Francisco a very successful chapter, to be the best, ideally, right? And um, if we hadn't argued it through if we hadn't if we just gave up on each other and just like said like I hate you I don't want to work with you kind of the fact that we both cared so much about collab neither of us were backing down and it was a good exercise of checking my ego and understanding like okay Mindy just because you're executive director doesn't mean that like we all just do what you want to do like you chill (laughs) I don't like check myself and Billy checked me and um you know, we, we're good friends. We actually, my board and I, we have our little Facebook Messenger group chat that we still talk. We actually hung out for the first time in a few years last Christmas in 2019, had a little reunion. And they're some of my dearest friends. And Billy and I still don't see eye to eye on a lot of things politically. Like, uh, he's, we're just different. But it made me value that different ideas can coexist, that differing thoughts and opinions can coexist and be helpful to one another and serve this greater objective by by being different. And that everything being the same and everybody agreeing with each other is not always a good thing. Sometimes that can be death, you know? So I just, Billy, I really appreciate you. Thank you for dealing with my obnoxious ass. (laughs) And for being a friend and you know you didn't have to stick around you're volunteering too he didn't have to like tolerate with me berating him all the time and shutting him down and calling him like a Debbie Downer and all this stuff he could have easily just been like all right bye like good luck with your money and just like left and he didn't he was super committed and like that's just one of many 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 stories I have about collaboration why it means so much to me all the things that I learned about teamwork about balancing life, about taking a stand of things that I believe in, about having disappointment and 
um, having expectations not turn out the way that I wanted, about having a goal and not meeting it, having a goal and surpassing it, uh, losing friends, honestly, having conflict and having to deal with the ups and downs of that and then still having to carry on. It was really hard for me to keep going with collaboration after my ex and I broke up because he had been such like he was there for me since day one with collaboration San Francisco. Like we had been friends before we ever dated and like moving forward with collab. It felt like it was like a little thing that we had built together alongside each other. And he had influenced that decision and to to kind of move forward with that was extremely painful. And it was very personal because, you know, our friends are all there and it was a tough time. And I had to learn how to navigate that, how to still show up as a leader, how to show up with purpose and presence for my community and and still deal with it and, and you know, power through it. And it was not easy, um, but I did. And I'm very grateful for that lesson. There are a lot of lessons wrapped up in just that and in friendship and in forgiveness of self and of others of anger and just so much stuff so much beautiful life that occurred in those years and in this identity shift and in this closing of the chapter I had to check a lot with myself about letting go of that title Um, I realized that I had placed so much value in who I was as a person into the title of executive director and that was really coming to my reality in about 2016, 17, 18. It took me years, guys, because I was putting so much into it, like my entire life, right? Event after event and plane ride and all this, which again was super fulfilling and so fun, but like depleting me too. And I wasn't doing the self-care thing. I wasn't balanced. I wasn't sleeping well. I was getting sick a lot and I wasn't asking for help. But I was working hard and there's so many wins and highs that I just couldn't, I couldn't put it down. You know, I think it's kind of like, honestly, I've talked about previous things. It's kind of been like an addiction with like working so much and getting so involved in things and not having space to breathe and having balance for myself and addressing things. Like it's honestly can be a way to avoid dealing with life is just getting super involved in work. And um in 2018, when I was deciding, like, I really wanted space and time and the ability to pursue my creative ambitions as an artist myself, um, I had to ask hard questions and realize, like, will I look at myself with the same respect and the same, you know, will I hold my head as high if I didn't have the title of executive director, if I go from being collaboration executive director to becoming Mindy Chang? actor or Mindy Chang filmmaker who's never made anything yet you know and for me it was terrifying I just knew the answer right away that I was not gonna I would not look at myself the same way and I knew that that wasn't good and it was very very humbling for me because that was a huge part of why I couldn't let go of that thing of this thing that I was starting to resent and that I was you know something I loved so deeply was becoming a point of like true unhappiness and pain, but also taking responsibility and understanding that it wasn't its fault. It was my choice and my decision and my agency to like make it what it was and to make it not be what I don't want it to be. That was a lot. And so that identity shift when I finally left was a big deal. And since then, I've had time to, you know, 
digest it. I've been freelancing for two and a half years now. I now make my living as a voice actor, as producer and host. And now I'm doing this podcast. And this was birthed out of collaboration because I did collab cast with Marvin for like, what, 200 episodes. And I owe so much to collaboration and that distance from that from that decision back in 2018 has given me so much perspective and appreciation. But now with this new milestone and having Jane be someone that I truly respect and trust to take something that I felt so protective and honestly borderline really possessive of, feeling like, how can I hand my child over? That's how it feels. I don't have children, but it's like, this is this is what I've poured my life into for a decade. I just can't hand this off to anybody. And I felt really protective of it as we we're like interviewing people and doing the search because we needed somebody because poor Marvin couldn't just like stay there as managing director without support and without somebody that could like really make collaboration elevate and do the things I couldn't do and taking responsibility for that, like stomaching the fact that I didn't do what I in certain ways had set out to do. I was super ambitious about how much money I could raise. I didn't meet it, guys. Like, I didn't. I did a lot of other good things that I'm proud of, making the conference, creating partnerships and relationships and moments and experiences that I'm forever going to be proud of. But certain areas, I didn't didn't achieve my goal. And I couldn't reconcile that. I felt so much shame and, like, guilt that I had failed collaboration. And, like... Watching somebody do it better than me, honestly, this is like Brene Brown vulnerability, like exhibit A 101. I I didn't know how I could handle that, if I could handle that. I didn't want to. But I also knew that it wasn't about me at the end of the day. What I cared about was collaboration and succeeding so that our entire legacy of all the thousands of people that were part of it could have something that they could look at and be like, that's what I was part of. That's the legacy that I contributed to and be proud of that. And I was like, okay, I couldn't deliver in certain areas. I had to forgive myself. I had to accept responsibility and move the hell on and let go of that identity and saying, that's what that's what it was and that's what it wasn't and it's okay. And now it's time for you to really let somebody else take the reins and do it. So in this search this year, I just feel so grateful that we found Jane and, um, you know, it was quite a search and in the middle of COVID in a pandemic, the fact that everybody's losing their jobs and just the uncertainty and instability and the racial turmoil that's like literally just at the crux of like everything that we've been working for about like how people have prejudice and racism and bias and hatred towards each other for no no good reason. And that it hurts other people and the the racism that Asians were experiencing this year because of COVID. Like all of it just like was extra salt on this gaping wound that we've been trying to heal for so long. And man, like it got very real and it made me more mature and accepting. And it made me less fixated on like all the things that I'm going to have to endure and all the pain and all that. It really helped it become very small, very, 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 very tiny in comparison um, to what the mission was, which is to find somebody that could help bolster and keep this element, this one corner of Asian American representation alive, because I'm very proud of how much collaboration has overcome and how much we have impacted the representation conversation for Asians and in general, because we have pushed 
pushing the representation conversation for Asians is pushing the conversation for representation in general. I've understood this in spades by being part of this world for 11 years. Um, We'll have that in another podcast, but it just brought relevance and uh, gravity to what it was really all about. And that helped cushion whatever pain I was feeling about my identity further being changed. And I'd already had like a two-year runway, guys. Like, it was okay. But um, I'm just so grateful that this chapter has ended this really beautiful way that Jane, with her amazing, like, just 20 years of working in nonprofits, she has skills and abilities that, like, just blow my mind that I'm like, man, if I had walked in with this, we'd be in a whole different place. But that's not what happened. I walked in in my 20s and I did the thing that I did the way that I did. Not imperfect. You know, it was imperfect, but it was genuine. And um, it taught me a lot. Hopefully I gave something good to collaboration. And now Jane can take the torch and do incredible things with her too, with her team and with her vision and with her skills. And Closing that chapter has meant me letting go of a lot of a lot of everything, a, a version of myself that had this particular position in our in the Asian community in LA and entertainment. You know, I played that card. And not just play that card, like I held that responsibility and I also played that card and I benefited from that. And you know, I will always be proud and grateful as a board member. But I'm also realizing quickly, man, this is a brutal town. It's like people go for like, who are you? What do you do? It's like that in any industry, right? So there's certain ways that I'm just like prepared to like kind of be in obscurity for a minute. (laughs) And in that way, just I'll never be the executive director of collaboration again. So you know, just really being okay with that. And then focusing my energy, my time, my brain towards the next steps, which scare the crap out of me. But here we are. We're going to be brave and we're going to go with it. So just wanted to honor this closing of that chapter and thank everybody. There are thousands of people, so many who I have met. I've met thousands of people because of collaboration and heard stories and understood pains and been invited inside people's homes, seen their schools, watched their like home videos, heard heard their meeting, you know, how meetings went with label people, watched their, you know, ideas, seen their vision boards. Like I've been let in and exposed to so many beautiful parts of people's lives and gained such a crazy amazing understanding of like how rich Asian American stories are, our existence, our community, our challenges are very real. I think a lot of it is having genuine acceptance of self. I think honestly, it's the same as any other communities, but it's it's very real within the Asian Americans, not assimilating to some prescribed notion of what success is or what cool is or what sexy is. Like, honestly, like, To throw all of that truly out the window and to define it for yourself is a challenge for any human being. And I think that what I've learned in 11 years that myself included, we're all dealing with that challenge of like, who are we really? What do we stand for? Where do we come from? And how do we want to shape the world? And how do we want to contribute to it and take up space? 
And what are we going to leave behind us? It's important. So just grateful for this opportunity to have served the Asian American community the way that I did in that capacity. All that it gave me, the insight, the wisdom, the connections, the experiences, the joy, like I wouldn't trade it for a million gazillion dollars. And there's so many other ways that success and fulfillment can be defined besides money. But if you'll excuse me, I got to go make some money because I have things that I want to do. So I'm also reconciling my relationship with money, which we'll also talk about in a future podcast episode, which I've been talking about for a long time. But I'm just grateful and um, very hopeful for the future. Our relevance is very strong. Our impact, our opportunity is incredible right now. And we have a responsibility because us owning who we are and making sure that equality and equity and decency and respect is given and earned, holding people accountable to their actions, um, letting people know how we feel, who the hell we are, where we come from, that changes the whole freaking world, baby. Like that is... That is it. That is what it's about. So please, if anybody's listening, and apparently I'm in 55 countries, wherever you are, be you. Do you. And do it hopefully with love for self and for your fellow human. Um, again, it's not to tolerate indecency, but do things out of love. I think that it, it really does change the freaking world. I think PK started collaboration because he loved his community and he wanted us to be able to shine on our own accord. And I think that made a huge difference. And everyone that I've ever seen that contributed collaboration, they did it because they love themselves in the community or they're learning to love themselves. They love the artists and they love the stories and they love the arts and they love who we all are and want to share it. Um, do it with integrity. Do it in a way that you feel you can sleep at night. But we have a continuing fight to fight for, for diversity, for representation, against be anti-racist, to stand for the LGBTQA community, for the trans community, for disabled, for people who don't have a voice. We know what that feels like. A lot, everyone knows what that feels like, to feel like your voice doesn't matter and that you are in the margins, and that you are irrelevant. And that you are unimportant. And that's just not true. So thank you to Collaboration for teaching me in a million and a half ways how to live that and how to walk, talk, speak it, how to be brave. I'm still scared, <laughs> but we're still going. And um, yeah, I'm excited for the future. I'll still be supporting Collaboration till the end of my days. And PK just talked about in the live stream that he hopes at his funeral that they have a big screen that... Um, shows, you know, that that collaboration is somehow immortalized and memorialized in, in PK's life, that in his lifetime, that'll be the thing that he's most proud of. And honestly, it will 1000% be one of the things that I am most proud of. I'm going to build on top of that. And everything that comes after here is going to be built on this foundation of the last 11 years of my time with Collab. So thank you to everybody. Uh, I met all the partners, everybody. It's just been supremely educational, supremely inspirational, and full of love. So everyone keep an eye out for Collab. Please go follow at Collaboration. Support it and know that everyone has an origin story. That's honestly the biggest thing from Collab is that 
it's a stepping stone and that's a good thing. You got to start somewhere. Everyone's a nobody at the beginning. I don't believe in nobodies, but you know, you could be the unknown. You're the diamond in the rough. You just got to let it out. So go do it. Um, thank you to Marvin Yue, who's my dude from Collab, uh, for being my audio engineer producer. Thank you for hosting and inviting me to do Collabcast with you and doing that for 200 plus episodes and then inspiring me to do this. And here we are at 130 something. Like what? Marvin, we did. We, we've been doing it. Thank you for being my friend and uh, my producer. And thank you to Uzahan for his song Uzi Trap for the intro and outro. Another collaboration in Atlanta and the collaboration star winner. Um, love you James you're amazing you're an inspiration to me so thank you for letting me use your song and thank you to my Patreon patrons thank you guys for helping me keep the Wi-Fi and microphone on if you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast please go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast you can also follow me on Instagram at first of all pod and thank you to Juliana for helping me with my socials you're amazing and if you'd like to support uh, the podcast in other ways make a direct donation or the Amazon wish list all that stuff is in the link tree in first of all pods uh, Instagram bio you can follow my personal page at Benjeezy you can email me at first of all pod at gmail.com thank you to all the messages and, and encouragement and appreciation you guys have sent me in my exiting collaboration you know how much it means to me and I'm so shocked that I hadn't cried in this whole episode because I've been crying a lot but uh, it's a beautiful moment and I'm very proud to be part of this legacy I really appreciate all the support so drop me a line if you'd like uh, if you're bored on Christmas or whatever I'd love to hear from you and you can find first of all on Apple Podcasts Google Play Spotify Stitcher Radio Public and everywhere else that you find podcasts and I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective which is a collective of Asian American podcasts Casters and storytellers. So go check out all the other shows. They're awesome and insightful and friends. So check it out. And that's it for this week. Next week we have our wrap up 2020 episode with Sean Mira, who's one of my favorite human beings, and finally got him down to, to talk with me. We're gonna do a little debrief on the year. Hopefully help you guys uh, stay positive and, and passionate and ready and raw and real. All that we're in this together. By our souls. Got you. Have a great holiday. I love all of you. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.